Scrapper fans, and welcome to episode 4, match 4, of our special December of 2022 offering, our present to you, our beloved viewers, as we rerun the rivalry. We're watching every match that Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kazuchika Okada have had between each other in a singles capacity, all under the New Japan Pro Wrestling banner. And for the fourth match, we're at the biggest event possible for this match to take place. Where are we, Simon? We are at Wrestle Kingdom 7 on the 4th of January 2013. And it seems strange to me. Let's just go straight into it. Given that the previous match we both... I mean, for me, it's four and three quarters to five stars. I don't know yet. You said flat out you gave it a five because you're easy like Sunday morning in that regard. Didn't used to be. Where it, <laughs> the, the whole five-star project really like, helped me grow into my slut face when it comes to wrestling. <laughs> There'll be no wrestling slut shaming here. <laughs> we'll save that for a later series. But... <laughs> Part one of why I hate my co-host. <laughs> Unlimited series, I think, is what you'd call that. Mean. Mean and hurtful. <laughs> but true. Anyway, talking about two people being mean and hurtful to each other. What's strange watching this match was just... It wasn't underwhelming. It was still a great wrestling match. But given how great the Dominion match had been, this couldn't help but feel like a step down. And it seemed like that was even deliberate in the presentation when you look at how... Hiroshi Tanahashi is at the end of this match compared to how he is at the end of the previous match. It's not that he hasn't had to fight with all of his energy, but it hasn't literally drained him of almost his life force. It doesn't... Even though it was a longer match, it felt less epic, as weird as that sounds. Now, I'm not doing all this hypercritical. Like, to get it out of the way, I would probably rate it four and a quarter stars, maybe four and a half. Meltzer gave it four and three quarter stars. And the rating that Cage Match has for it is 9.08. Okay, okay. Which is roughly a 0.66 drop. (laughs) Look at you with your maths. (laughs) It does feel, to be fair, like a battle of equals, but it seemed like the key thing that it was trying to establish at this point, because as I was saying, go, coming out of the Dominion match, it, it was not. A, I just didn't have a sense of who was the superior and who was the inferior in the pecking order. Coming out of this match, it feels like New Japan is very much saying Tanahashi is still number one and Okada is currently number two. Yeah, like, as you mentioned, from an in-ring perspective of how they're presented, you're right, Dominion had Tanahashi survive, not win. And I wouldn't go to say he didn't have to put some work in in this match, but but it's a lower amount of survival that he had he had to do. He wasn't holding on by his fingernails. He was he was holding on, but not by his fingernails. When you said presentation and like the bigness of this match as well. To quote Donald Trump, I'm just going to use the word bigly or bigness. I want to take it beyond the in-ring presentation. Because obviously you have both of the descend on that platform because it's Wrestle Kingdom and Wrestle Kingdom must have special entrances. Tanahashi has some sort of music group with him. Not familiar with J-pop enough to know. I don't like J-pop necessarily. I would have thought they'd be more like J-rock or J-metal. Ah, okay, yeah. Hindsight is always twenty twenty with these things. And the reason I mention that is I, I, I watched this match with the English commentary. And it was recorded years after the event when they're trying to get more English-speaking commentary on their archive. Uh, and they do make frequent references to the crowd size and like how, like, you know, Tanahashi is the man who sort of dragged New Japan through, like, the doldrums 
Uh, there were there were times they were worrying whether or not they'd even be in the Tokyo Dome going forward, whether they would run it. But here they are, thirty thousand plus fans, and look, it, it's our ace, it's our boy kind of thing. I texted you, like I, I don't know how I feel about archived commentary because people are too sp- spending too much time pointing out, oh look at that young lion, look look at that young lion, look oh he'll become someone. Yeah, it does. I, I never liked the idea when I heard the WWE did it for a few things. Like they had Michael Cole and Taz commentate over Chris Benoit's 1994 Super J Cup final win over the Great Sasuke. They were able to get that for his DVD. Yeah, I understand why they made that decision, but I know what you mean. I, I don't mind it, like almost they're talking about it through historical context and it being like an option that you could have on. Well, obviously, there's always an option one way or the other, I suppose. Because after after reading your text, I thought, I'll I'll stick with the Japanese commentary for now, then. I, to be honest, I don't know if I'll bother switching it to live commentary when it's JR and Matt Stryker. You know, I've only got so many brain cells I can sacrifice by hitting against <laughs> I forgot about that period. Oh, no. That's going to be fun. But what I was thinking, though, about this is that the key story with... Okada's growth leading to the payoff that ultimately is the switch is the key is the Wrestle Kingdom matches and the comparison I always make is that like it's one thing to beat Alex Ferguson's Manchester United in August or September at the start of the season there's a difference between beating them at home uh, as in your home ground by a a semi-flute goal and they're just having a bad day compared to being able to beat them in a cup final at Wembley Stadium or when it's one of the you know the clinch matches towards the end of the season that's going to decide who wins the league it's one thing to beat the New England Patriots with Tom Brady when it's a regular season it's another thing to beat him when it's the Super Bowl yeah as a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan I'm hoping he can still muster that magic uh, we have not been good this year but but yeah you're right I because it was Tom and because of everything else like when the lights shine the brightest you have faith in these people you have faith like some i think the fans seem to because there there are a chance for tanahashi at the start they have faith in hiroshi tanahashi and as always tanahashi does play up to the crowd and i guess it's almost like to be the symbol of new japan you have to be that cheerleader as well you have to be that person that talks to the crowd and so far we haven't seen okada talk to the crowd at all common like pick up the mic or even have his spokesman talk for him at all really it's he's just been about what's going on in the ring because that's where he's at his best yeah we're getting ever so slightly closer to the okada i know to quote matt striker it's a marking out moment i'm marking out bro <laughs> we uh, we see our first uh, okada cocky chest pat in this match yes we do yes so we are getting close to it and again it's playing into the mind games. It's both men trying to... Both men have defeated the other. Both men have a victory over each other. Obviously, oh, Tanahashi has the victory from 2020. But you can basically discard that. Yeah, I don't think they really count that. So, this is truly the rubber match of the year-long storyline. Because it was at the Wrestle Kingdom the previous year that Okada seemed to you know, stick his neck out when he wasn't in the... you know, Huge Didn't have a place to do it. Yeah, with a huge ego... Going out of turn, like Oliver Twist or something. But then surprising Tanahashi, and then Tanahashi coming back and getting back to his best. And so then it's a case of Tanahashi at his best 
in the bright lights of the big occasion is too much for Okada at this point because I think it's the key is not that um, Tanahashi puts everything into it, it's that Tanahashi makes Okada wrestle his match maybe more, that is more strategic and more in-ring. There's very little in the way of an outside-of-the-ring beatdown for Okada. And also, this is the first time where they're starting to block or parry or dodge signature moves. This is the first time that Tanahashi is able to avoid the corner dropkick that sends him to the outside. That's when Okada's able to take control. Although, Okada immediately finds a new way to to cause damage to him by crotching him on the rope after he kicks him away, and then hitting his draping DDT, but off the top rope to the mat. And that hurts Tanahashi so much, he has to go to the outside on his own power. (laughs) It's like, I'll find a way of doing it. Yeah, and so Okada's still able to lay down a beating. And Okada with this one, I think he's making more... It's funny watching this more, just seeing how all of the matches Okada has constantly been targeting the neck. This seems to be the one where it's the most... Prominent. Constant throughout the match. And I think the big problem I have, and the reason that I never maybe notice Okada's neck work as much as I notice Tanahashi's knee work, is probably because, first of all, the knee is pretty much your go-to of a targeting a limb in a wrestling match. Yeah. You know, in like, in 75% of matches that are based around at some point or another limb work, it's the knee that's being taken apart. Yeah. And the neck's not even a limb. Like, it, it because it's so small compared to a limb, it, well, it's not hard to convey stretching it, but there's only so much you can really do. Yeah, it's hard to convey Tanahashi or Tanahashi doing a move that hurts himself in the process because there are several moments throughout this where Okada, after Tanahashi's done the knee work, where he'll do something that requires his knee to be involved and he'll sell it. Although there is one weird moment where I think he realises he's done the move on the wrong knee and he sort of is selling both knees for a second. Well, yeah, you can always say he's overcompensating. Maybe. Quick quick little wink and a nod and you're fine. But sometimes, and to be fair to Tanahashi, at different points he might target both knees or a different knee. Because when it comes towards the end of the match, where he surprises Okada with something that he doesn't see coming, is when he's got his leg up in place for a dragon screw. And instead, he drop kicks the standing knee. Yeah, I did. I love that move at that point. It's those great moments when someone does something that just completely surprised both the fans and the crowd. You know, a, a classic example would be how John Cena won his match with CM Punk on Raw. By doing a Hurricane Rana. And that just completely discombobulating Punk. And Cena to be fair. Because he landed on his head and neck. Because that's how <laughs> Cena does Hurricane Ranas. <laughs> he is a bit of a clumsy fellow. To quote Seth Rollins. Cena's like I'm as surprised as you are. <laughs> <laughs> I just banked on being so hard I wouldn't die. <laughs> that's the Brock Lesnar method. <laughs> uh, uh- to go back to, though, you see more of the classic Okada. One of the things I think is also the timing in the ti- in the period of the match where the drop kick comes out. Because the drop kick now to Okada sort of becomes Tanahashi's sling blade, his quick momentum shifter, but also the sign of we're going up a notch now. Yeah. And so he doesn't, you know, a drop kick is saved until like the 20th minute or so of this 33 minute match. And we're going up a notch, but it, it comes at a price because by the 20 minute mark, Okada's knee's been worked over quite a bit. So he does hit a really beautiful one, not not to the top rope, but just a really beautiful, I don't want to say regular drop kick because it's Okada, but you know what I mean. And afterwards he's... he's is running the ropes drop kick. Yeah. His standing drop kick to a not to a person on the corner but to like a like he's one where he's aiming for the for the face essentially. Exactly, yeah. 
but he's unable to really capitalize like as quickly as he would like because yeah cool i did it and then i land and have to deal with the consequences of doing it (laughs) but yeah as i was saying tanahashi just doesn't seem as stressed i mean i also wonder if it's because they're in the vastness of the tokyo dome and quite frankly you can see stands with borderline entirely empty and when they did the tokyo dome for most of this time they're lucky if they get beyond like the ground area there's times we've done done these shows to like less than 10,000 fans i believe mm. and so in that vastness i suppose you can't get as intensely hot and also it's january as well so whilst when we saw dominion tanahashi just drenched with sweats and he again like you were saying how tough it is to sell the neck. I do remember when he does his air guitar celebration, he does actually stop at one moment to <laughs> grab his neck. It's like, I can't really headbang in this situation. No, no, he's took that away from me. So again, that's weirdly one other thing that whilst the vastness of it's supposed to suggest one thing, in another way, the setting kind of undoes, you know, the sense of them going through something truly... Um... Yeah, do you think Akada plays the occasion bit wrong i think when he goes for that uh long run-up on the apron uh not on the apron on the on the ring ramp sorry do you think he's doing that because it's wrestle kingdom partly yeah i suppose so and that comes back to bite him in the ass because tanahashi turns it into a sling blade but i also wonder if that's not a reference to the great muta doing those running down the ramp attacks the english commentators drop that reference straight away but yeah, like both men are more aware of each other. And this is the ultimate decider, I suppose. This is like, who is the ace? This will be the match that decides it. And again, the significance that it's in the 40th anniversary of New Japan as well. And it has been the storyline of the year from Wrestle Kingdom to this Wrestle Kingdom with the matches in between. And the story has been Okada's meteoric ascent in such a short space of time. So Tanahashi truly has a great challenger at last. You know, in the time between this, though, Tanahashi has continued to do what the ace is supposed to do, and he's defended it four times in the space of, like, four or five months. He defended against Togi Makabe and Masato Tanaka, both in the month of July. Then he defended it against Naomichi Marafuji of Noah. Then he had his King of Pro Wrestling match with Minoru Suzuki, which was the first of these 2010s New Japan matches that Meltzer gave five stars to. Okay. And is also... Probably one of my very favourite matches ever, to be honest. That yes, the... I, I was definitely in your top ten overall by the end. At it. one point it was. I might have knocked it out and then immensely regretted it and said if I ever redo it, I'll I'll put it back in. That was like maybe the perfect example of limb work and a different kind of challenge. And then, believe it or not, Simon, he was able to sneak in between King of Pro Wrestling and this event, uh, tied to defence against Yujiro Takahashi. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Sent him into the pimping industry. <laughs> but yeah, meanwhile, Okada's the one that's redefined this again in his arrogance and said, okay, I've won the G1 Climax. Well, I'm going to have my title match at Wrestle Kingdom because that's where I deserve to be. And in the time, he also defends it against Carl Anderson, who he beat in the final of the G1 Climax. But Anderson also had a victory over Tanahashi, which got him the surprise appearance in the final. Yeah. And so... That was seen as sort of he's like the number two seed, I suppose. And then he also defended it against Hiroki Goto, who had beaten Okada in the G1 block matches. So, you know, again, starting a new tradition in his own way. Yeah. 
so it's all about control, I suppose. And as I said, the story seems to be that Tanahashi, they wrestle more Tanahashi's match, and Tanahashi's obviously the one that comes out on top. Yeah, I, I do think it wasn't really like laid out in this match, but I, I think the table they're setting here is, like you say, the lights are on bright. It's it's a clutch occasion. And as good as Okada is, and he doesn't, he seems to be a bit more than a fluke. He's not the guy yet, as you say. He can't do it on the big stage yet. He's improving, and that's the weird thing, even though he's improving from where he was already. Like, at the start of the match, it's him that's controlling with the headlock at the start, not Tanahashi. And on the mat, he's essentially an equal to Tanahashi at this point now. Tanahashi can't just control him on the mat, and then Okada in his frustration takes it to the outside. Strike-wise, uh, he's doing well as well. He has like a really good uppercut series. He just unloads on Tanahashi. Although Tanahashi is more his equal in those for the most part. Like, he's able to drop Okada to his knees with the palm strike. Because he's insanely jacked, that's why. Uh, and Okada seems a little bit more muscular than last time. Yeah. It's, it's harder to see the, the way that his physique goes back and forth. He's not as genetically ripped and defined like Tanahashi is. But again, it's like he doesn't even need it for mirror muscles. He just is, again, because he's just got the natural physical talents, he doesn't need to show it off aesthetically. You could call it a a slightly different version of Arn Anderson's tactical muscle. Yeah, but he's no Arn Anderson, let's be honest with us there. That's why I said different version. Yeah, yeah. But they both are able to knock each other down with the shoulder blocks as well, so it's like Tanahashi can still hit Okada, and the moments where they are exchanging forearms, it's again, they, every time they've done the forearm exchange, they just haven't descended into the cliche that it becomes later. Instead, it's a key moment, like, that they start engaging in strikes, and then they just clasp each other's hair and start yelling at each other in that moment. But it shows that it, that, that it means that much to them, and that they're starting to hate respect each other. Yeah, I get that exactly. That that it is hatred, but it is also they. Well, they now have tasted. They've tasted each other's steel. Exactly. <laughs> you know? And that works in that they are more wary of each other from the start. And there are now starting to be more reversals and escapes and changing things up. We still are seeing these moves from Okada that we never see nowadays, like his, like I said, his. Sort of grounded money clip, his standing abdominal neck stretch thing. Yeah. There's another one. He does the barrier one again. Like, it's sort of like barrier, kind of camel clutch kind of thing. Yeah, we are still seeing a lot of network. But like, it, we don't see these days. It's not really phased out just yet. And you could argue with his DDTs, which are relatively new in the phase that we're covering at the minute. He's sort of finding other ways to work the neck. And they're also starting to show that they know each other so well that they're starting to execute each other's moves. Okada does a dragon screw leg whip in this match. I think that's out of spite as well. I like that. Because <laughs> it's, it's not to really work the leg. It's to show that I can do it. <laughs> yeah. But I think actually, to go back to that strike exchange, I think that ultimately tells us the story of this match. That they're going at it just in the physical exchange of things. But who wins that exchange, ultimately, is Tanahashi, because Okada, in his frustration, whips him into the ropes, goes for a boot, and Tanahashi's able to catch it and turn it into dragon screw. So he's able to think with his head. He thinks it through, whereas Okada still is relying too much on instinct. Mm. He's not a planner yet. He's not not his cool, calm, calculated planner. He's getting cooler, 
because he's more more confident with the occasion but he's not again not there yet and also like tanahashi does do the high fly fly to the outside but that's not a huge momentum shifter like he takes him to the out takes him back into the ring and then he's trying to apply the cloverleaf and okada's already trying to resist it like yeah so again they're having to change things up okada goes for his top rope elbow and tanahashi for the first time actually puts his knees up to block it mm. But I think the most significant part of all this is as well is that this is the first time that Okada kicks out of the high fly flow. Yeah, as well as that, it's not quite the same, but just like a, t- a tucked under level, basically. The way he powers out of the cloverleaf the second time it's applied, and it's sort of applied like Lion Tamer style, like Tanahashi's wrenching back. It's that burst to get through. Not like meekly making the ropes. He, he like surges through. It's a surge of power, like that surge of adrenaline that allows him to kick out the high fly flow. So Okada's going back to things that worked for him before, but they're starting to work for him less now. Like he tries to do a tombstone on the outside, and Tanahashi's able to escape it, so therefore he's not able to do the hugely damaging move that won the title for him the first time. They do again go into gut wrench fights over the control towards the end like they did in the, the started the end of the last match it's it's interesting seeing how it does seem like a, a step down in significance to dominion but it's kind of like there are stories within stories because this is really one of the first key points for okada as a protagonist because i've said he seemed like the antagonist of the story going through and if you look at it this year the year of 2012 to 20 you know january rest kingdom to rest kingdom it's been tanahashi facing a young upstart challenger and being able to do what he needs you know doing the rocky three storyline essentially and being able to get it over but what we're also getting now is the start of the okada story that to be the true ace you have to do the complete victory at the highest level so this is like his first maybe even a great this is a greater hurdle to him really than losing the match the first time because again like he took way more out of tanahashi when tanahashi beat him than tanahashi took out of okada when okada beat him yeah but this is the time where he has taken more out and i think that there's significance to the fact that there's way more of you seeing okada walking to the back because it is more no this is now now if you look at okada's story Mm. think about it from that perspective that's what i like with new japan stories when they do it well the people that seem like the antagonist in one story also you realize within their own story there is a protagonist narrative you know like jay white's big you know weeping moment at the end of his match with ibushi you suddenly realize wait a minute let's think of it's the first time you think of jay white within his own story not within him just being a nuisance to other people (laughs) that's a polite word for it But yeah, like you say, we're getting more of him being the Okada we see. Like, the dropkick doesn't come in. That classic dropkick doesn't come in until after Tanahashi hits the high fly flow. Yeah. This is also where we're starting, like I said, this is the first of years of matches that will go to 30 minutes plus, as long as there's not a 30-minute time limit to Mm. them. And obviously that's a problem in another way. It makes sense in a different way. But like I said, the weird thing was this felt less epic than their previous match, which was like five minutes shorter. I guess if the story was truly supposed to be only Tanahashi's story, like I said last time, when it's like, if Okada's the guy that goes from territory to territory working with their top face, you have that Dominion match at Wrestle Kingdom, I suppose. Yeah. Maybe you'd have Okada win the Dominion match and then Tanahashi win the Wrestle Kingdom match. I don't know. And the Wrestle Kingdom match be more like the Dominion match. But New Japan table set, don't they? 
Yeah, because they need Tanahashi to be in a position for the next year, and they need Okada to be in a position for not only next year, but the next 10 years, and Tanahashi for like the next 5 to 10 years as well. So whilst we think it's one simple narrative at this point, they well, they basically tell us two months later, because Okada just goes and wins the New Japan Cup for the first time of trying, just like he won the IWGP Heavyweight title <laughs> for the first time of trying, and the G1 Climax for the first time of trying. So they're already kind of surprising you with things that you don't necessarily uh, think are going to happen usually as you know storytelling like this is something different and I do wonder if they're frustrated that they couldn't you know this has now been 10 years on and we've had the 50th anniversary and really it's just been Okada and Jay White and it's not been like an inspired story so much no. really between the two obviously we've got the Will Ospreay story going on but that's not going to get paid off at this Wrestle Kingdom yet but it seems like Osprey is the guy that they're building the, the biggest story around. And so we've got to wait for maybe another year from now for that to have its ultimate payoff, maybe. Yeah, but they're bringing in an outside guy to tell the next part of the story, aren't they? Yeah, but they did that with Tetsuya Naito with bringing Chris Jericho in for their story. And Osprey is, like Okada, 0-2 against Okada at Wrestle Kingdom. It's just you don't associate it with the non-native-born talent, obviously. But it's a slightly different world that we're in now. And, you know, it's Will Ospreay. Yeah, and it didn't come to this international audience that would look for an Ospreay figure until it was down to these shows. I mean, this is around the time that the Bullet Club has either formed... Well, no, the Bullet Club forms after this because Carl Anderson's there doing the heel turn. So we're just pre-Bullet Club. So it's still... New Japan against Chaos as the key storyline of the of the promotion. And again, like with the February match, but not with the Dominion match, Tanahashi does have a number of New Japan guys on the outside cheering him on. Taguchi, Captain New Japan, Tiger Mask. I mean, you know, I'm not saying they were all helpful, <laughs> but they were there. <laughs> this is the Bushi argument all over again, isn't it? <laughs> but yeah, uh, Tanahashi hits the tombstone, which set up the high fly flow in the previous match. Okada, though, wills himself up because he knows that's what Tanahashi's going to do. So he said Tanahashi still adapts because he knows he's got... Because it's taking him more time to get to the top rope. So there is that sort of race against time for both of them. Mm. So it's like, but Okada's up. So then Tanahashi can't hit his high fly flow. And, high, and uh, Tanahashi's like, oh, can't I? <laughs> <laughs> it's a high fly flow cross body and then the high fly flow. And that's enough, finally. You know, his fourth version of the move. Yeah. The second one of it is a splash form to win the match. Um, but yeah, so I, I would go four and a quarter, I think. And it's weird that that feels like a disappointment in a strange <sighs> way. It's still a match completely worth everyone's time to watch. Oh yeah, absolutely. But you would sometimes you would think, well, the best matches will be at the their Wrestle Kingdom, and that just was not the case because of the story they knew they needed to tell, which is quite brave, really, on a storytelling front, I suppose. When you when you have the acres of patience that New Japan Booking has. You feel more comfortable doing that. And it won't take acres of patience from you to wait for our next episode, where, as I said, uh, Okada wins the New Japan Cup. And so in less than four months, he's back challenged... Well, in three months, actually. It's April the 7th. Ooh. And just to give you a heads up, Simon, I believe that this is a match... This is the first match that was given five stars, so we have talked about this match before. Ah. And it is the highest rated of all their matches on cage match. Although, to be fair, it's literally by 0.01. 
Ooh. So, that's not to say everything else is going to be a vast disappointment afterwards. This is not necessarily the peak. Indeed, indeed. <laughs> but if that piques your interest and you want to get in touch with us with some more suggestions for other rivalries we could run over in the past or things we might have missed in these matches... Then, Simon, how can they get in touch with you? Uh, they can get in touch with me on Twitter, where I'm sending a Simon Cross free. Free for the number of biceps that Hiroshi Tanahashi has on his biceps. <laughs> My name's Lorcan and That's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for the A in air guitar. N for the N in number one, which Tanahashi proves that he is still in the pecking order of New Japan with this match. That's my Twitter handle, Instagram, Facebook, Letterboxd. If you put that gmail.com at the end of it, that's my email address. Get in touch with the show at lntyspod at gmail.com. LNTYspod is also our Twitter and Facebook handles. But there's nothing left to say at this point, except that my name's Lorcan Mullen. My name's Simon Cross. Thank you for letting us tell you something, and I hope you'll continue with us as we rerun the rivalry. <laughs> 